0: The book of Acts uh, is the one book of history in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are uh, the Gospels, which are an account of Jesus' life, and it presents to us the message of the Gospel in the life of Jesus. And then the book of Acts is the one book of history where we get to see that Gospel work its way uh, around the world uh, in a historical account. After the book of Acts, we have a bunch of letters that are written Uh, And those letters were written, most of them, during the time of the accounts recorded in the book of Acts. And uh, in the same way that uh, it's important to see the gospel clearly, we also get to see the gospel at work. And uh, Jesus, in the commissioning of his disciples uh, going out into the world, uh, didn't commission them to go out right away. Uh, You would think if your job was to go evangelize the entire world uh, before the internet, and before live streaming, uh, that you would want to get on that pretty soon. And after having spent about three years with Jesus, you would probably feel like you were prepared to go. And Jesus' first word in telling them to accomplish this mission wasn't go, but wait. And they were supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit to empower them to do the work that he was calling them to do. Uh, and so as, Im- as important as it is to know things, uh, the power of the Spirit is even more important. Uh, a Bible college education with Jesus as your professor for three years would probably be the best that you could possibly imagine, uh, and yet his instruction was, wait. Uh, and he told them that they would be witnesses, uh, and the the way that he describes that in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that phrase and the way he describes it is a really good rough outline of the book of Acts. Uh, So for uh, the first seven chapters, they're in Jerusalem of the book of Acts, and they're being witnesses of him in Jerusalem. For the first seven chapters. Uh, chapters 8 and 9, they go to Judea and Samaria, and the gospel goes there. And Acts chapter 10, the chapter we're in, is the next uh, hinge chapter. It's a, a starting a new chapter, if you would, in uh, the book of Acts. From chapter 10 all the way through, it's beginning to go t- to the ends of the earth. And they knew that. They had heard that. Uh, but by the time we get to Act, uh, Acts chapter 10, it has been about 10 years since Jesus spoke those words to them. Uh, so Jesus is like, I want you to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. And you're like, got it. 10 years later, you're still in Jerusalem. <laughs> and uh, that's where Peter was at. And that, you know, I think there wasn't any disobedience in that. Uh, but Jesus had told them what they would do years before it would start happening. And now, in this chapter is a chapter where it begins happening. And I'm wondering that when Jesus first spoke those words to them, if they wondered, uh, at least within themselves, Peter probably out loud because that's his style, uh, is all of his inside thoughts are outside thoughts, and uh, some of us can relate to that. But the question is, uh, how gracious is God willing to be? And there's two ways you can ask that question. Uh, two ways that this question could have been asked in the passage that we're going to look at together. Uh, The first is asking that question from the perspective of a Christian, of a believer, of somebody who's confident in the grace for them, and they might ask that same question this way, does God have grace for them? That is, those believers or those non-believers over there, wherever the them is and wherever over there is. For Jewish believers, the them was Gentile believers, and it, does, God, does God's grace extend that far? How gracious is God willing to be? Is, God, is, is God's grace, I know it's good enough for me, but is it, is it good enough for them? And the other way the same question can be asked, and we have a person in our uh, chapter who may have asked it in this way, it's uh, from the non-believer's perspective. Uh, instead of asking, is it good enough for them, is, does God have grace for me? Am I beyond God's reach and his grace Or am I within God's reach of grace? And those would be some genuine questions that they had asked at that time. Uh, But in the same way, we can ask those same questions here this morning. Uh, There are some of us who are very confident of God's grace for us, and we know God has got grace for us. Uh, But we might have some genuine questions. Is is there grace for them? Uh, And whoever the them is, there, there might be that question in our mind with regard to who they are. Uh, For some, it may be politicians. Is there grace for them? Uh, For some, it may be uh, communities that are being celebrated this month. Is there grace for them? And then there may be those on the other side of that same question who are either tuning in online or even in this room who are asking, is there grace for me? And genuinely unsure if God's grace can reach them. And these two questions are answered in this passage this morning uh, and not only for us, uh, but even for Peter, uh, who went through uh, Jesus' Bible school, who went through uh, the recommissioning and restoration process of Jesus, knowing uh, the extent of God's grace for himself, uh, and being confident that the work that he would do would be done by God's grace through him. And so we meet a man at the be- very beginning of Acts chapter 10. Uh, called Cornelius. And he would have been the one in our story who would have asked the question, is there grace for me? Notice with me in verses uh, one and forward what uh, the story is told, what story is told to us with regard to Cornelius. Um, Verse one, if you would follow along with me as I read it to you out loud. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regimen a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, uh, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision uh, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. And it said, what is it, Lord? And he, uh, so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a, uh, for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, uh, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So when the angel who had spoke to him departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all of these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So the beginning of our story, we're introduced uh, to a man called Cornelius. Uh, and this man uh, is described in a variety of ways, but he is uh, the man for what Jesus said the Great Commission would go to. He was an end-of-the-earth man. Uh, and what I mean by that is he was a centurion. Uh, he was a Roman Uh, Gentile, and not just a regular scum-of-the-earth Gentile, (laughs) but the the kind that was actively implementing uh, the occupation of Jerusalem, and uh, not just Jerusalem, but in all of Israel. Uh, And we don't know what that's like experientially, uh, but it would be like if uh, we were Americans, but we were being occupied by China or occupied by um, some other world power And even though we might be free, there was always a continual reminder of we're not as free as we could be, and it's because of them. And he was one of the them. (laughs) And he was, uh, from the Jewish perspective, as far away from God as you could be uh, because of just who he was uh, and what he stood for and what he looked like uh, to the average Jewish observer. Um, But God was one who saw him God was one who uh, would direct him, and he would be one who followed God's direction. So he asks the question, and he would be one of those who may have been aware of all that Jesus did. Uh, It says he was one who was seeking God and feared God, but not one who had a relationship with God. But first, uh, I want to point out the ways in which God saw him, uh, and the way in which uh, for those who are in the sound of my voice who would be asking that question uh, is there grace for me? Uh, the way that I would describe it is that God does see you. And so God sees him in a variety of ways. First, uh, in verse 3, he knows his name. He says, Cornelius. He's like, not, hey, you in the back. <laughs> he knows him. He knows who he is, and he calls him by name. We sang it this morning. Uh, God has named each one of the stars. Um, I only have three kids, and the third one was a struggle. Uh, the Johnsons, I don't know how you do it. (laughs) But God names all the stars, and he knows them by name. Uh, And in the same way that God knew Cornelius, this guy who would, from all other perspectives, from especially the religious perspective, be one who is completely unknown to God. His name was known by God. He knew his name. Uh, Not only that, he had his number. He knew where he could find him, right? Uh, And so he sent an angel to him. Uh, But God also saw Uh, his devotion. Uh, Notice how he's described there in verse 2. He was a devout man. Uh, He was one who feared God, and he was one who gave generously. All of these things are inward realities that aren't necessarily obvious on the outside. But Jesus not only knew his name, but knew his heart knew where he was at and the direction he wanted to go in, God saw his actions, the prayers and the giving that he uh, gave, uh, according to the angel that was sent to him. It says, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Uh, The good works that he had been doing, uh, the good that he desired to do, uh, weren't not unnoticed by God. Uh, And yet, they weren't enough uh, for God as well, because uh, in sending the angel... Uh, God also saw his need to hear the gospel. Uh, And those who wonder, is there grace for me, need to hear the gospel. There's a message that they need to hear. Uh, There's something that they need to be told. And the good works weren't good enough to be in a right relationship with God, as good as they were, and the good attitudes and uh, heart dispositions, they still needed to hear the gospel. It's not that the good they were doing was unseen or unhelpful. It's just not good enough. Grace, uh, as it's expressed through the gospel, needed to be declared to him. Uh, And so in verse uh, six, the second part, uh, he was supposed to send for Peter and he would hear from Peter what he must do. And so there's this message that needed to be heard, uh, but beyond God seeing him, God directs him. Uh, He tells him, you know, take some people, send them to Joppa, get this guy named Simon. He's staying with this other guy named Simon. And then whatever Simon says, do. Uh, And I'm 100% confident this is where the game Simon Says came from. (laughs) Some Sunday school teacher is like, we all need to do what Simon says. So unless Simon says it, you don't do it. And uh, there are all kinds of versions from that. But but God was directing this man to Simon. And there's kind of a curious thing that's noted about that. Uh, Where Cornelius was, was an evangelist named Peter in the same town at the same time. And he's like, I want you to go far away to this other place and grab Peter. Uh, so whatever reason God had for Peter, uh, it was Peter who needed to share this message because it was Peter whom God had chosen to. There was other people who were very you know, inclined to share the gospel just a few doors down. And yet God chose Peter for this interaction. And so God's uh, directing him. Uh, and this man, Cornelius, he follows God's direction. Um, very simply, uh, he called his men together, he explains what's going on, uh, and he sends them. He's like, this is, you know, go and do this thing. But he's uh, immediately, right away, obedient to what God has asked him to do. Uh, and it's interesting to me that uh, this story could have been much shorter. He could have just sent the angel, explained the gospel, end of story. But that's not what God was doing, because what God is doing is more than just sharing the gospel with somebody who needs to hear it. Uh, there's a work that God is doing on both ends. He's going to show and he's going to answer those two questions we asked at the very beginning. Is there grace for them was a question that was still in Peter's mind. And that's what we see in our next point is Peter might be wondering what Jesus meant when he said, go to the ends of the earth. He's like, you mean to all of the Jews at the ends of the earth. That's certainly what he meant. There was a, uh, a dispersion of the Jews going everywhere. Uh, and he's like, the Jews over there and the Jews over there, uh, it, you know, grace for all of those, you know, uh, Gentile living, uh, living with Gentile Jews. Um, what did, what did Jesus mean by, to the ends of the earth you will be witnesses? And so the question he might be asking, or the question we might ask for those of us who are confident in God's grace, uh, as we look at the world around us, asking the question, is there grace for them? And we read. It together this morning, verses uh, 9 through 16, where uh, God uses a very natural circumstance to communicate in a very supernatural way. Uh, if I preach long enough, you will also have this experience. You'll be hungry for lunch. <laughs> and Peter had the very uh, natural desire for food, uh, and he went up on the roof, and that's like the equivalent of our back porches uh, in their day. And Uh, was praying at a time that most Jewish people prayed. So he was still observing some Jewish uh, practices of praying at a particular time, and he went up to pray while they were preparing lunch, and as they were preparing lunch, he has this really weird experience. It says that he he fell into a trance and that uh, he had this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven, and it had all of these unclean animals that Jewish people weren't supposed to eat in it, and the voice from heaven said, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And Peter said something that you should never say, but that's, you know, Peter. He says all those things that you, we should never say. That's why we love Peter. We can identify with him. Uh, he says, no, Lord. And you can say one of those or the other one of those, just not both of those. You can say, no, no, buddy, or no, friend, or I don't think so, pal, but you, you can't say, no, Lord. You can say, yes, Lord, but you, you can't say both of those. Um, but I think he was very confused in that moment, and it came out that way, uh, where he had a, a no-Lord moment, because he's like, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the response that the Lord gave him was uh, the way that he had been trained to see some things needed retraining. Uh, the, the standing that he had before the Lord uh, wasn't based on what he ate. He ate. And he thought it was. His standing before the Lord wasn't based on what he ate or did not eat. Uh, And when he looked at it, uh, he's like, I can't do that and be in a good relationship with you, Lord. Uh, There's years and years and hundreds and hundreds of years of animosity built up between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. There was a lot of things they couldn't do, but eating their food was one of them. And the Lord told him, what I have cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. And he was very confused by that. But the way that the Lord sees things uh, is different than how we see things. And by we, I don't mean lost people. I mean people in a right relationship with the Lord. We don't see things as the Lord sees things. Uh, And even Peter, who is a sent out apostle, who's been preaching the gospel now for 10 years... Uh, needed his perspective adjusted. Uh, Samuel, the prophet, uh, was sent out to anoint the second king of Israel. He had anointed the first king, the the people's king, and now he was about to go out and anoint the the king that the Lord had chosen. And he goes to a man's house. Uh, The man has uh, all of these sons, and he's like, hey, bring your sons in here. The Lord has called me to anoint one of them king. And so the dad's like, come on, boys. He uh, has them in there, and Samuel sees the first one, and he's like, surely the Lord's anointed. He's tall, he's rugged, he's good-looking. Like, that's that's a king if I've ever saw one. And the Lord was like, no. God doesn't see things like you see things. He sees the heart. And, in fact, he didn't even see things as the dad saw things, because the dad invited all of his sons except for the youngest, the one who God wanted to anoint. <laughs> Uh, And so even fathers, even prophets, even Peter needed their vision corrected. How they saw things wasn't how God saw things. And God was using this experience in Peter's life to teach Peter and to answer the question Peter may have had in his mind, is there grace for that? Is there grace for them? And so he's still, like, we're going to read, and the, the, the thing that's going on in Peter all the way up until the end of the story is he's getting it, but he's not getting it. He's getting it a little bit more, but he still doesn't get it. <laughs> he's getting it a little bit more, and then he finally gets it. Um, and, but this is the very first time that the Lord is speaking to him. Um, but this is an important piece that the Lord does. Uh, the Lord works on both ends. Uh, when the Lord is at work, uh, the Lord is at work on, on both ends of a, of a situation. Uh, I'm not sure if you've, if you've been a believer uh, for any length of time, you, you may have had the experience where somebody came up to you and said, the Lord told me to tell you, and you're like, well, the Lord hasn't told me yet. <laughs> and trust me, if the Lord told them to tell you, he would have told you to. Uh, it's a both and, it's not an either or kind of a situation, and that's what we see happening here. Uh, God is preparing Peter for what he's about to do. And he's preparing Peter by confusing Peter <laughs> with this blanket and this command to rise and eat. And he was hungry, but he's like, I'm not going to eat that. That's not kosher. I can't do that, Lord, and have a good relationship with you. I can't, I can't break that rule and, and be okay with you. And, and God was basically speaking to him, I'm about to break some rules. I'm, not my rules. Your rules. Uh, and Jesus Jesus did this in his ministry. Uh, he confronted Pharisees who had a list of rules, and those rules actually kept them from being obedient to God. And they, they had to hold to the rules, or had to hold to obedience to the Lord, and they were choosing obedience to the rules. Uh, and this is something that in Acts chapter 10 begins, and isn't really resolved until Acts 15. So it takes them a little while to figure it out, have to have a whole church council about whether or not, like, how, how Jewish do you have to be in order to be Christian? The answer is, not at all. <laughs> uh, that's not how it works. But they don't know that yet. And, and he's taking uh, the loudest mouth and the most stubborn man to, to teach that lesson to, so that he will have the loudest mouth and be the most stubborn for it as well. But God's preparing him He's preparing him how he spoke to him uh, in a trance and through a vision. He's preparing him in uh, what he showed him, uh, the very first instance of pigs in a blanket that is mentioned in scripture. And then uh, he, he mentions it in a very pointed way. And these should be the words that ring in the ears of those who have the question, is there grace for them? What God has cleansed, you must not call common. That that's the lesson Peter's going to learn. He just heard it, but he still doesn't get it. He, he's going to get it uh, because God's going to give him specific direction and what happens next. In the same way that He gave specific directions and speaks on both ends, uh, He gave specific directions to Peter, uh, just like He gave specific directions to Cornelius. Uh, so, verse seventeen, we're told that while Paul while well Paul, well Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen meant, uh, so he's still not getting it, uh, behold, the men who had, come, uh, who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate. Uh, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Uh, and while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down Uh, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them." So Peter's instruction is more progressive. Um, I'm not sure uh, if it's because his attention span is more like mine, where you you just gotta give one step at a time before you can get, you can't give them all the directions at the same time, otherwise you're just gonna have to repeat the next step anyway. And so uh, he's wondering, what does this vision mean? And then as he's wondering that, there's these Gentiles at the gate, and they're like, hey, is this Simon's house? They're like, yeah. And they're like, is Simon Peter here? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure what you would do if like, you know, a police officer and some peace officers showed up uh, at your door and they're asking for you by name. <laughs> but you might be hoping that the Lord had been speaking to you right before then, <laughs> right? And the Lord spoke to him and was like, go with them. And I'll explain why later. Just go with them. Know that that's what you're supposed to do right now. And they were there asking for him, and he doesn't hide. He doesn't, you know, he's not behind locked doors anymore, but he he hears a direct word from the Lord, I want you to go with them. Verse 21, then Peter went down uh, to the men uh, who had been sent from Cornelius, saying, yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? Very understandable. Again, if the police came knocking at your door, you're like, and uh, what brings you here? some nervous laughter for them. And uh, they explain, uh, Cornelius the centurion, verse 22, a just man, one who fears God, the story is getting better and better by the moment for Peter, uh, has a good reputation amongst all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you uh, to, to his house to hear words from you. Then uh, he invited them to lodge with them Uh, On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some of the brethren uh, from Joppa accompanied him. And so there are some rules being broken already. Uh, Even uh, before these Gentiles lodge with them, Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner. Uh, Tanners uh, hang out with a bunch of dead animals. That's that's where they get the skin from. They take it, and they're working with it. And in fact, tanners in uh, the nation of Israel, uh, if they were Jewish, had a, uh, had, were one of the few professions that had a perpetual uh, exemption from uh, showing up to any of the required feasts. Uh, and it was, wasn't just because they dealt in dead animals, which would make them unclean for the day, but it's because they smelt like they dealt with dead animals, and they didn't really want them in the presence of everybody else because it's tight quarters and bad smell. And so they're like, you don't have to come. <laughs> And so just being there would have made Peter ceremonially unclean. And so he's, he's broadening his, you know, amounts of grace that God can have for people to being with uh, somebody whose business is unclean from a Jewish perspective. And then to have these Gentiles lodge with them, also very eyebrow-raising. It's like, you had who staying with you? <laughs> really? <laughs> Risque. And now they're going to go with them. And so Peter's just kind of going along <laughs> with the ride, seeing how this is going to play out, seeing what the Lord is going to do here. Uh, verse uh, 25. Oh, sorry. Uh, verse uh, 23. Uh, when they went with them, they come to him. Verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And uh, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And so they make their way there. Cornelius is not only there with everybody in his own household who normally lives there, but he's invited other people. Uh, It's the first uh, Gentile crusade, and Peter's the main speaker, and he doesn't know it yet. He just sees this, he already had a a big household. He has servants, he's got these other devout soldiers that are there, and he's invited family and friends to come hear the message that he knows he needs to hear from the Lord. And he's like, this guy's coming. I want as many people to hear this message as possible. Uh, It's gonna be good because it's gonna come from God. And uh, he does what would would have been natural for the uh, Gentile person to do in that day, which is to confuse the messenger with the one who's being sent. And uh, in, in the Gentile world, you worshiped people. That was, there was Caesar worship, there was other kinds. And he's like, we must worship this person that God has sent. Um, but Peter uh, was probably the right person because uh, Peter was very aware of his own shortcomings. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't worship me as <laughs> not me. In fact, Peter spends a lot of his Christian ministry life, you can read about it in the book of Acts saying, it's not me. Uh, on the day after Pentecost, uh, they go uh, uh, to the temple and they're praying, not the day after Pentecost, but after Pentecost, they, they've preached. Thousands of people got saved. They're going to the temple to pray again. This guy who's lame gets healed um, through Peter. Uh, he, he's like, silver and gold have I none, but what I, such as I do have I give to you. Rise up and walk. And, he's there, there. and all the people are like looking at him like, are you Jesus? He's <laughs> like, I'm not Jesus. Why are you looking at me like I did this? I didn't do this. Jesus did this through me. You know, God's grace was given to me for this guy, and that's how this guy got saved, but let me tell you about Jesus. And so he's constantly redirecting people to Jesus. He's like, don't worship me, worship him. And uh, so Peter redirects the worship to the one who ought to be worshiped. And uh, verse 27, we're told, and as he talked with him, uh, he went and found many who had come together uh, Then they said to him, uh, Peter, saying to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. And here it is, it's beginning to click. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was asked for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent me? He's still not getting it. <laughs> I was very hopeful there for a minute. He's like, okay, I, I shouldn't call you common or unclean, so I can be amongst you, but uh, why am I here? <laughs> and you think that uh, he would have gotten where God was going with this, um, but uh, I'm super thankful that he didn't, uh, because now we get to find out uh, and, and it, it be explained in a way where uh, God's grace is now going to be expressed through him. And in the same way that God wants to use each of us who are confident in God's grace for us to express his grace through us to others, um, Peter's going to experience it in real time. Uh, There is no precedence for for this in his mind. He's already breaking precedence by just being there. He's like, I've gone super far (laughs) in trusting God. And his mind's about to be blown about what's happening next. And uh, he says this other truth about who God is and how that is going to impact how he is supposed to live. Uh, Verse uh, 34, I think I'm skipping ahead. Where are my notes? Yes. Uh, Verse 34, uh, he says, uh, then Peter opened his mouth and says, in truth, I perceive that God shows partiality uh, shows no partiality, but that in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Uh, so he's he's beginning to get what God is doing. Uh, Cornelius explains the vision that he had and that you know he was supposed to come and tell him what he must do. And the first thing he shares is not the gospel. The first thing he shares is the lesson that God is teaching him. God is teaching him, that God's grace is enough for the them, whoever the them are, and that there's no partiality. Uh, The way that preachers often put it uh, is that the foot of the cross is level ground. Uh, Sometimes, if we've been a believer for a while, we can uh, think of ourselves as being above others. And well, I would have never done that, or I've I've never eaten that, (laughs) I would have never done that. And uh, I'm sure of God's grace for me, but I'm very unsure of God's grace for you, and then God's like, I want you to go eat that pulled pork sandwich over there. And he's like, Lord, no. <laughs> Maybe after he tried it, he's like, man that's not so bad after all. <laughs> uh, and he he's he's sharing the lesson out loud that he's learning, uh, and it's it's a truth about who God is in relationship to each one of us, whether that's the us that are confident of God's grace for us or the us that is unsure of God's grace for us. That there is no partiality. That means he doesn't, God doesn't have favorites. And I know that's hard for some of us to understand in that in our homes, we grew up and we weren't the favorite or at work, we weren't the favorite and somebody else got all the blessings because they were the favorite. God, God doesn't have a favorite one above another. We're all his favorites. (laughs) Uh, We all have favor from God. There's no partiality. He, he doesn't look upon one with more grace or less grace than he looks upon another. And this is what Peter is saying when he says, God shows no partiality. Peter perceives that God's grace is for all. Uh, verse 35, but in every nation, whoever calls upon, uh, whoever fears him and works uh, righteousness is accepted by him. Then Peter shares the good news of God's grace for all. Because he, he got it, but he still needs to share it, right? That's why he's there, <laughs> to do what Simon says. Uh, verse 36 and 37. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That, uh, that word, you know, which was proclaimed through, uh, throughout all Judea, and uh, began from Galilee after the baptism of John was preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed uh, by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree him god raised up on the third day and showed him openly uh, not to uh, not to all the people but to witnesses chosen before by god even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is, uh, that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness through uh, his name. Whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. This was a message that he was very comfortable preaching because he had been preaching it for ten years this gospel presentation was wrote in that he had said it again and again and again. I am a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. I am a witness of the miracles which he did, of the gracious words with which he spoke. And I'm not the only witness. The prophets of the Old Testament prophesied everything that he would do and all of these things, that he's going to be the judge of all of the earth and that there is remission of sins for everyone who believes in his name, but that everyone up until this moment was everyone who was Jewish. Up until this moment, it was everyone of us. And now it was everyone of them that he was presenting it to. And I'm not sure if he was thinking about it that way, but as it was coming out of his mouth, uh, something wild happened. So we've looked at Cornelius, we've looked at Peter, now we're going to look at God and what he's doing in this story. Uh, And the Lord, God has grace for everyone and expresses it through his people. The gospel has just been proclaimed, and there's a bunch of people there who want to live lives who are pleasing to God. They had called him there to tell him these things, and he's like just sharing the gospel. Uh, But I kind of feel like it was a gospel presentation with the same anticipation that Jonah had. Jonah proclaimed a gospel. <laughs> the judge of all the earth, he's coming. He's going to destroy you. <laughs> in in Peter's day, there were rabbis who taught that the only reason why God made Gentiles was so that there would be something to burn in the hell. Jonah, when he went <laughs> to Nineveh, finally, <laughs> God's going to judge you. <laughs> I'm going to go over there and watch. <laughs> but just like The people of Nineveh, the people that were gathered before Peter, weren't people who were eager to live their lives their way and they didn't care if there was hell to pay. They were people who were eager to live God's way and were waiting for the prophet of God, for the preacher of the gospel, to come tell them about the possibility of repentance. Jonah was bummed when the people repented because he knew God. He's like, "God, I knew you were merciful and gracious and abounding and all." And' he's like, I, "I just knew you would be gracious to them, and I'm upset about that." Peter's a little bit more sanctified about it, but nevertheless, it still catches him off guard. Notice uh, there, in verse 44, God gives uh, the gift of salvation. While Peter was still speaking these words, that means he's not done yet,. Like he, he, but he's got the gospel out. The gospel is there. He's like, if you believe, there's salvation, and that's the last thing he has to say. <laughs> there is a, a story of a of a preacher who uh, gave a gospel altar call, and you know, there was a response, and it wasn't s- something usual for him for people to respond to the gospel when he presented it. And so, he was like talking to them afterwards, and like, you know, trying to draw it out from them, like, well, wait, was it something I said? Was you know, the illustration or you know, the word study? Like, what, what did I do? And he's like, no, I had decided before I came to service that I was going to give my life to the Lord, I was just waiting for you to get to the end. <laughs> God works on both ends, <laughs> and while Peter was still. Speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. The Holy Spirit fell on them because they believed the word. There was grace for them. And as he's sharing the gospel to them, the Holy Spirit, the sign and the seal of what it means to be a Christian, how we know we're a Christian and how we know we're going to go to heaven is because God gives us his Holy Spirit in us that helps us understand his word, that helps us understand who God is and what he wants, that convicts us of sin that's in our life, not all at the same time because he's gracious, but one sin at a time because he he wants us to reflect him more clearly. That Holy Spirit was poured out on them. This chapter of Acts is actually referred to by some uh, preachers and theologians as uh, the Gentile Pentecost. The Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 on a bunch of Jewish people Uh, But now the Spirit's falling in similar ways on Gentiles. The Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word, verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And Peter and those who who were with him were amazed by God's grace for others. It, it, it blew them away. And in some ways, it shouldn't have because there was a centurion that Jesus performed a miracle for that he said, that Jesus said of this centurion, like they were interacting, the centurion sent some servants like, hey, I've got a servant. He's, he's sick. He's about to die. Will you come and heal him? He comes all the way to the, the gate and he's like, you don't even have to come in. Just say the word. And I know that at your word, that my servant can be healed. And Jesus, it says, marveled <laughs> at his faith. And he's like, there's not such faith in all of Israel. And it's coming from a centurion during Jesus' time. Peter was there for that. Now Peter's here again with another centurion. And he, his household, his friends, his family, as many people as gathered together to hear it, are now being saved right before his eyes. And it was obvious to them that they were saved because the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them. They had received the gift of the Spirit according to verse 47. But Peter, with all of those wisdom, notice again there in verse 45, they were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. The them got what they got. They didn't get a modified version of grace. They didn't get a different flavor of grace. They got the same grace. They got the same sign of salvation. They knew that the Spirit had fallen upon them in the same way that they knew that the Spirit had fallen in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, notice, just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay for a few days, no doubt trying to explain what the heck had just happened. (laughs) Uh, There was no coaching beforehand, like this is how you speak in tongues. It just happened, just like on the day of Pentecost. So to answer our questions that we began with, for Cornelius, is there grace for me? The answer is yes. For Peter, is there grace for them? These Gentile dogs, this fodder for hell, fire, is there, is there grace for them? And step by step, God walked him through answering that question. There is grace. And it's not a different kind of grace. It's not an above and beyond the grace that you needed. It's not a different kind of salvation. There's not a separate room. It's the same grace, the same spirit, the same salvation. If you are here and you're confident in your grace, like Peter, are you confident in the grace for them? whoever the them is for you. Whether that be somebody whose political views are different than yours, uh, whose lifestyles are radically out of line with Scripture. God's perspective of all of us is that what he cleanses, who he cleanses, is neither common nor unclean. Just as much as God knows your name, he knows theirs. And just like God will walk Peter, who's been commissioned and recommissioned, restored and sent out, practicing in ministry for 10 years, needed to grow in his understanding of God's grace, there is a growing understanding of God's grace for each one of us. I'm not Peter, but I still need to grow in God's grace. If you're here and you were unsure that God even knew your name, God knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows where you're at. And you are not beyond his grace. There is grace in God for you. And just like Peter in sharing the gospel, uh, when he said that whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sin. When he was sharing before that he was, that God is the judge of all the earth, Uh, If you're a sinner who knows you're a sinner, that's not good news. But that Jesus died for your sin, that's the good news. If you're here and you're confident that uh, if you walked into this building, if you're tuning in online, that it would fall upon you, or if you're here now and you're wondering why it hasn't fallen yet, it's because God's grace for you was just as abundant as it was for me. He knows where you're at. He knows your heart. But just like Cornelius, who was doing a lot of good things, those good things were not enough. There was a a a message that needed to be heard and received. And that message is the message of the gospel. Peter got through that and just, he, I don't know what else he wanted to say, but he didn't get to say it because the gospel is sufficient. It's enough to know that there is grace for you. And whatever individual you identify as we can't can we can we not together rejoice in God's grace for us it's such a joy to know that there is a God who knows everything about us and loves us anyway right that's that's where we're at in the world everybody wants to be known and loved but they feel like they have to pick between the two like if you really knew who I was would you still love me So I'm going to put up this front, this fake facade. Can you love this version of me? God loves the version behind that. God God loves the version of you that you don't even understand yet. (laughs) The, The sin that you don't think is sin, which is sin, God loves you in spite of that still. But how he expressed that love was not by approving of it and wanting you to stay in it, but by saving you from it. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's not true for just them. That's true for all of us. We're going to close in a song, and I'm going to close this in uh, some prayer. But as we sing this song, let's make it a prayer to the Lord, and let's even just pray to the Lord. Lord, here's where I'm at. Lord, I want to be used by you. I, 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 want, to be, I want to receive your grace for the first time. Or perhaps I want your grace to be expressed through my life. You all see people throughout the rest of this week that I will never see. And just like Philip the Evangelist was in the town that Cornelius was in, God may be calling you and using you to reach those around you with the simple message of the gospel. And even if he has to do it like he does with me, like he did with Peter, taking you one step at a time, ask the Lord before your lunch, use you, to share with others the grace that God has given to you, because whoever you're talking to, there's grace for them. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, for your mercies, which were new this morning, uh, because, God, you know that we needed new mercies this morning. Lord, the Bible tells us that we, uh, that in our weaknesses, your strength is made perfect and how that happens is by your grace. Your grace is sufficient for us. And it's sufficient for everyone around us. Lord, help us to have your view of ourselves and others. That we're imperfect, but we're loved by you. That, uh, that we need you, but Lord, we have you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.